Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Good morning, church. It's lovely to see you all. Thanks for the woos. I appreciate it. Um, We're continuing our session on the power of the church. And last week we had Viv communicating excellently about the purpose. And this week we're doing the power of the people. Yeah. Uh, So Viv uh, put very eloquently last week that church comes from the word ecclesia which is only found in the New Testament, just a mere 114 times. And it just means a gathering of the people. It's what we're doing now. But what I learned this week is it actually can even be a secular gathering of the people. In Acts 19, twice it's used to refer to a riot, and it's once referred to use as a legal assembly. So basically, Church means anything, okay? Church could be a riot, church could be a protest, church could be a sewing club, church could be any religion. And that's why today we need guidelines and we need boundaries to set out what church actually is. So thankfully, in order to do that, we have this little guy here, this person given to us, is happening, it's not working. (laughs) I'm gonna have to describe each of my slides. Uh, that's the last slide. Plot, uh, plot twist, no? Um, okay, so we have a guy, this guy, yeah, given to us by John Wimber, who is the founder of Vineyard Church. Um, it's, and he made this person to describe what Vineyard is about. It's not describing you as a person. No one expects you to be able to do all of that. And it's not even describing the Vineyard movement as a whole, but it is a simple reminder of our family and our values. So I'm just, just as an aside, I've got a million things to get through today. And so you guys need to keep up because I'm like here, 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 here. I'm everywhere. So if you fall asleep for one second, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, So yeah, I'm just going to talk about this guy briefly. I love that we are standing on the Word, on the Bible, um, and we're standing on the Kingdom of God. We are standing on a firm, solid ground. Um, And that is very good, because I think if we were standing on the morals of today's culture, it would be more like surfing, where you get on a wave, you're like, yep, I'm morally correct, and then suddenly the culture changes, and you have to jump to the next wave, and we'd always have to be moving. Paul and I have been watching um, a show called The Morning Show on Apple TV, Um, it's about like a news show that happens in the mornings, and um, this Uh, newscaster, he refers to the groundhog as his spirit animal, and then basically everyone in the public gets really angry and is like, that's cultural appropriation, you can't do that. And he's so confused because two years ago we were all referring to everything as our spirit animal, which is why we cannot rely on the morals of today's culture, and it's why it's so good we are standing on solid ground. 
And if you read the words of the Bible, if you read specifically Jesus' words, I'm always so struck that they are so culturally relevant. He was standing up for women. He was standing up for the lost way before it started to be cool in the last 10 years. So, with all that I've said so far, church is... <laughs> that was a slow burn joke. Um, church is a group of people with a common purpose. We are grounded in Scripture... And I love that we have Jesus over our head. Um, Jesus is the main thing. He commissioned us to go and make disciples of people in Matthew 28, saying, baptize them. That is our main thing. But what we're looking at today is what it looks like when we meet and what this group of people look like, which is this circle. I've given this person a nice little round belly. We've got the hospital, the community, the school, and the army. So let's dive right in with the army. Now, the army was actually the last on the list. It's probably the most exciting sounding one there. You might think, should have saved it for the climax of the talk. But the reason why I wanted to start here is because this is how I was actually first drawn into the Vineyard Church. This is like, the army is kind of my origin story because I was searching, I was on a journey, I was looking for a church that was right for me, but also that I could give to them, that a church that needed me. And whenever I prayed, I just felt God give me a picture that he'd put me in a little tiny boat and shipped me out into the ocean, and I was lost at sea looking for my church. And when I came to Vineyard Church, I thought, this is good. I prayed about it. I felt like God said I'm meant to be here. Um, and at the beginning of 2017, I came here being like, okay, this is my church. And three times in that sermon, Steve said, thank you for hitching your boat to ours. And I was like, what? It's like he's reading my mind. So how is this relevant? How is me hitching my boat to their bigger boat relevant? Well, Steve went on to say, and by the way, I actually looked up this talk this week um, from January 2017. It exists. It's terribly recorded. It's before we had any tech. We were, I can hear Viv laughing because I think she's just recording it on her phone like this. Um, but anyway, so Steve goes on to say that this ship that is our church, we are not a cruise ship. You are not here to sit and receive and have someone bring you drinks and take a dip in the pool and just have a nice time. It's not that easy. We are not a ship of luxury. And this ship is not a sailboat. We don't just come here when the weather's good, when the sea's calm, when things are okay, okay, now I'll, I'll bring out the church ship. No, this ship is a battleship. We're actually not a giant aircraft carrier. We don't have the tech. We don't have the, the money. We're not that fancy, but we're small. We're flexible. We can go where God needs us to go. Now, this army analogy, it might sound serious or heavy, but Jesus says that we are to forcefully advance the kingdom of heaven. And thankfully, as Christians, we know that God is good, okay? We're not doing any damage we know that we're not called to fight with weapons of destruction. We're actually called to do completely the opposite, which is to fight with love. And I guess the opposite of destruction is creating 
Love and creativity is what we're called to fight with. This is not an army with guns that kill people. This is like the Peace Corps. It's an army that seeks to educate, to build, to heal, to bring relief and peace. Our weapons are the power of God to heal and to cast out demons. And the good news is that because of this, we get to rescue the lost, our hearts of compassion to feed the poor, care for the immigrant. And in doing this, we get to claim back the territory unlawfully occupied by the enemy, just as Esther was saying, that is what the ship is for. So back to Steve's analogy, he said that he'd been looking up different ships and he'd come across this battleship that had smaller boats attached to it. And he said one of the boats is a ship of, is a salvage ship. And actually the root of the word salvation comes from to salvage. So some of us are called here to go to the deep, dark places, um, to search among the wreckage, to find the treasure, to find the lost sheep and bring them back to our battleship. Because Timothy 2 verse 4 says, God desires that all people would come to know him. And the other ship is a ship of compassion. There's a vineyard saying, we are worshippers of God and rescuers of men and women. These are our ships. I think with the real army, or, or the earthly army, I should say, there's many reasons why people might join. It might be to have a sense of belonging or pride. It might be for valor. It might be just because they need a good job or security. But with God's army, there's only one reason for us to join. And for that one reason, we need to look at Isaiah chapter 6. Um, this is the longest Bible verse we're going to look at today. So if you want to look it up yourself, go for it. But I'm going to read it here on the screen. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. I once heard a sermon by Mike Pilavachi, and he summarized this passage so well. He summarized it as, wow, like God is here. I saw God and his train filled the temple. Like God is amazing. Woe, woe to me. I'm a sinner. I am not going to hold up with what he needs from me. Then the healing happens and then go. Who's going to go to get the rest of them, the rest of the sinners? Well, it should be me because I was one too. Because God has freed us, our natural response will be to go and help others to be freed too. Or in army speak, no one has fought harder for you than Jesus has fought for you. So 
In the army, I think they start by breaking you down to nothing so they can rebuild you to be useful for the core. But Jesus actually comes for us when we're broken. And as we follow him, the aim is that we become less self-centered and more Christ-centered. And that's a real challenge with today's current morals. But in doing this, we come with all humility and compassion, and we go with all authority and power. This army analogy is a challenge to you before I finish with the army section. Where can I lay down more of my self-centeredness and fight for the Peace Corps? In fact, if it didn't sound so cheesy in American, I'd call it the Love Corps, because that's what we're called to do. We're called to love other people well. What can I lay down in battle as Christ has laid down everything for me? And let us never forget that Jesus is the figurehead of the ship. He's the one fighting harder than any of us. All right, so next analogy, Joshi, please. We have the hospital. So picture it. You're in a hospital. Let's just take a minute. Put yourself in the A&E room. It's messy. It's emotional. It's busy. Let's talk first about the patients. It's a sad truth that this world is full of pain and suffering and if you're a new Christian, you might turn up and there's a lot of treatment that needs to be done for you. But even those of us who have been Christians for many years, God might be revealing hurts and damage that has been done either by our own sin or by the sin of other people. And that takes time to deal with the consequences of sin often. But the good news is, if you feel like a patient right now, you are absolutely in the right place. Because Matthew 9, verses 12 to 13 says, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I deserve, desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I think doctors would say there's probably two sides to the spectrum of patients, right? And there's those on one side who never call the doctor. They do not want to overwhelm the NHS right now. We're probably fine. It doesn't matter that I've had a cough for three months. I'll, I'll get over it. Don't worry about it. And I just want to say, well, church hospital is not the NHS. In fact, our hospital provider is wealthier than Elon Musk himself. Our hospital provider is the creator of the universe. So we don't have to worry about using up the hospital's resources. In fact, the longer our wounds are left to fester, the longer our relationship with God is probably suffering. I learned this week about a hospital chaplain called Jack Miller, and he got woken up at 3 a.m. He was being urgently paged. A patient is desperate to see you. You have to come now. And by the time he got to the hospital room, the patient was like, this is really embarrassing. Um, I called you because I just was shown an x-ray and they said I had cancer and it's terminal. Um, but it turns out they got the x-rays mixed up. And uh, I'm fine and I'm not really a religious person, so don't worry about it. It's fine. And um, it's easy to laugh at this guy and be like, oh, you should have stayed with the chaplain. But I think in a way, a lot of us are the same. I reread my prayer journal a couple of weeks ago 
And it was a really depressing read. Um, but that's not because my life is depressing. I have a great life. It's because I, was, I often only get as far to go to my prayer journal when I'm at the lowest of the low moments. And it was a bit of a wake-up call, like, gosh, if you read this, you'd be like, what a depressing woman. But actually, it's because I'm only going to God when I'm at my worst. And that's not good enough. He wants us to come in every day for a daily checkup. The hospital is waiting, full of people willing to help, full of an omnipotent healer that loves you and wants you to keep your heart soft for him so that you'll keep coming and you'll keep growing and healing. I think the other end of the patient spectrum is the hypochondriac patient. We probably all know someone a bit like that. They're constantly worried. They've got a mole. It could be a thing. That wasn't there yesterday. Can you look at this? And despite my illusions, I think there is some good truths in our culture, right? There's this new kind of morality that's come about to say, in order to help others, we need to help ourselves first. And that's biblical. You know, Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye before removing the speck of someone else's. Or the culture says, you're only loving others well if you're loving yourself first. But I think that the way the enemy sneaks in to manipulate this truth is when it says, unless you're perfect, you're not ready to help others. Unless you've got all of your ducks in a row, don't worry about the rest of the world. And if you've ever been a patient in, rec in recuperation, if you've ever been really, really ill, and then technically you're probably better, the course of antibiotics is finished, but it, you just feel too tired to move. You'll know that feeling where you're only going to get better if you actually go beyond your capacity. If you actually get up and walk is only when you're going to receive more energy. And I think for some of us, we're in that situation. Tim Keller puts it way more harshly than I'm daring to do. <laughs> so I'm just going to quote him. Um, he says, the reason why we are so self-absorbed in our problems ultimately is self-righteousness. Ultimately, we believe that we're better than the people out there who need help, that our problems are bigger, that we've forgotten that we are sinners ourselves saved by grace. That is the reason why the Bible can tell us in Isaiah, in James, and in Matthew right here that you can tell when someone's faith is viable, not because they feel they need to help other people or they should be helping other people, but it's because they deep down know that they are a sinner and so naturally they want to help others who are different from them, who are downtrodden, who are dirty and loveless. Okay, so back to the hospital analogy. Um, doing School of Kingdom Ministry, which is a course our church offers last year, they had this thing of you either should be receiving prayer, so the patient, or you should be praying for someone else, the doctor. But you've got to be one of them. Because if church is a hospital and you're not a patient or a doctor, why are you here? It's weird. Stop staring. Just get involved. Thankfully, we get to join in. 
But the truth is, we're not great doctors. We are just the triage nurses. I mean, they're amazing. But we, we do the triage. We hear people's problems, and we take them to Jesus, who is the ultimate healer. And we do this because we ourselves have received that medicine. We ourselves have been saved by grace, and we know that only the blood of Christ is what's going to bring us healing and salvation. Let's not forget why we are here. Jesus is the ultimate healer. Okay, the other two are much quicker, I promise. I told you I have a million things to get through, but they are getting quicker. So next we have the school. Okay, so imagine you get a phone call and they say, um, wait, is this the right bit? No, where am I? (laughs) Oh yeah, I'm right, okay. Imagine you get a phone call saying, congratulations, you got in, you're now a doctor at the hospital. I would be like, um, I don't have the qualifications to be a doctor. And they say, no, 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 this is church hospital. The only qualification you need is that you're saved by Jesus. So congratulations, you got the job. I think I would be like, oh my gosh, I need to start doing some research. I need to learn. And it's a bit like in this verse in 1 Peter 2. It says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted and seen the Lord is good. And it's enough in the beginning just to have spiritual milk of salvation. That is enough to be a baby. But guys, we can't stay babies. You either have to grow or you're going to stagnate which means it's time to eat the solid food, time to start doing the work on yourself. Um, A great analogy for this is my sister, Holly. She gave her life to Jesus when she was 27. And immediately she felt God say, go, go serve the poor. And she did. She was amazing. She just left everything and she went to Uganda for a year. And I'm sure she did a lot of good and I'm sure she learned a lot on the job. But at the end of the year, she felt like, do you know what? I think I could do a lot more good if I'd had some training because I have no idea what I'm doing out here. And so she did. She came back here. She went to All Nations Missionary College. um, And at the Missionary College, they teach you properly how to be a missionary. They teach you theological studies. They teach you hairdressing. They teach you dentistry. They teach you anything you could possibly need to be a good missionary. And that's what she wanted to do. And guys, that's why it's so good we're part of the vineyard, because they offer schools. They have the School of Kingdom Ministry, which I've already talked about. It's amazing. Um, But they also, the vineyard itself puts on a load of other courses. I think Raylene is a great person to talk to about that, if you're interested. Um, And I say a school. It's not a university lecture where you guys get to sit back and relax and watch one person do all the work. Okay, I went to art school. I learned technical arts where we learned like carpentry and metalwork and mold making. And if I'd had a lecture in the theory of welding, I would not be able to weld right now. It took showing up every day, doing the practice. And that's what church is. It's an opportunity to practice. So let's keep studying. Let's keep sharpening our tools It's a bit of a weird school because at the end of the day, there's only one test and we're all going to fail it. But we have a teacher who comes and says, don't worry, I've got the rest of the paper, I'll do it. But we can see through Jesus' parables that um, teaching is so important to him. 
He is the ultimate teacher. So let's make learning important to us. Okay, finally, community. So following on exactly from the verse I just said about the spiritual milk, we have, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. This is the fruit of the work of Jesus on the cross. We are rescued in order to become living bricks in his building. I love this picture. It kind of puts it perfectly. We are all here. You've all done it. You've all turned up, and we are being built into a home by no other power than the saving grace of God. He is establishing a home in us, building it brick by brick, wall by wall, wing by wing. We are building something beautiful together. And you get to take your place here by virtue of his merciful invitation by his death on the cross. But the thing is about being a living stone is you have to show up. If you want to be a structural part of the church building, you have to show up and you have to keep showing up. Um, last week, I did a thing I bet a load of us have done where church starts and you've just got your cup of coffee and then you're like standing there in worship with your cup of coffee <laughs> and you're really like trying to go for it with worship and then you just stop and you take a sip. Um, and by the end of worship, I had an empty coffee cup and Steve said, let's put out your hands and receive the Spirit. And I was like, I put out one hand, and in the other hand I had a coffee cup, an empty one. And I was like, oh no, this is really awkward. He said, put out your hands. And then I was thinking, well, maybe this is good. I've got a cup. Maybe I can collect more of God's Spirit. This is how my brain works. Um, and then weirdly, the scripture that came to my mind was in... Exodus, where God is providing the manna from heaven, and he says, you can only take what you need for that day. And naturally, people try and take a bit more and hoard more, but when they go to look at it, it's moldy. And I felt the thing God was saying to me is you can't just participate every now and then in a church. You can't take your fill and then come back when it works for you, because that's not community. That's consumerism. Community is a living, breathing organism. It requires work. And the mortar of each stone in this community is love. It requires us to love one another well. It's not just about us receiving. <laughs> um, there's a youth center on this estate called Providence House. It's amazing. Esther works there. She does a great job. And I had the privilege of going there this week and meeting with Esther, with Jonty, and um, all up the stairs they have the Providence House story. And it started with a few boys playing football on the street and they accidentally kicked their football through the chapel door. And one of the boys, he runs into the house and he's like, excuse me, miss, can we, what does he say, can we have a club? It's written like that. And the woman inside was Elizabeth Brown, and she saw a need, and she went for it. And all the way 
way up the stairs, you can see how this wonderful Providence House has changed and grown and seen the needs in the community and adapted to fulfill those needs. And Providence House, it's changed over the years, it's shifted, but it has stayed. And it stayed, one, because there's still a need, and there's still a need for the church. There's still a need for us to be here on this estate. And two, because the people kept showing up in order to be a part of the church, we've got to show up. And we don't show up out of obligation. We show up out of love because Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the king of loving people and because he loved us first. So just a reminder, church is an army. We are a battleship. We're salvaging the lost, fighting to bring more of God's kingdom into this world. And Jesus is at the front of this ship, fighting the hardest for all of us. Church is a hospital for us to be healed and for us to bring those to the ultimate healer. Church is a school for us to hone ourselves to be the most useful we can be to serve our king. And church is a community, a home for us to keep showing up and to love one another well because we've been loved first by Jesus. Now, instead of going into ministry time, I thought, I've stood here and I've preached that we're all either a patient or a doctor. I've stood and I've preached and I've said there's so many different roles that can be played in church. So I thought, how about instead we turn to the people next to us and we say, what role are you being called to do today? It doesn't have to be what is your overall massive role within the church. It's just, who are you today? Are you a patient? Do you need help? Are you a doctor? Are you here because you really want to, to help God heal people? Maybe you're here to contend spiritually for something that's going on. You're here to fight on behalf of someone else. Or maybe your role is simply just to love one another deeper into this community. Either way, you have a role and you're so welcome here. So we're just going to take five minutes, turn to the person next to you and say, which role are you today? And please pray for one another. That's the point. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.